Pharisees, no doubt. Some of them about the devil. For me, the scariest movie has always been The Exorcist because it was based on a true story. So was the Amityville Horror movie based on a true story of a family who moved into a house and they were so bothered and troubled by the events that were happening in that house. It had no explanation that they left their home and never returned for their belongings. I've had a few demonic experiences over the years, not many, thankfully, but a few. Was in a, I remember being in a house once that I just couldn't explain this cold, evil presence that just seemed to envelop me there. Another occasion, a group of us were going to pray for a man who said that he had a demon. So we gathered around him to pray and he started speaking in a strange voice and then he roared like a lion. But we laid our hands on him and prayed and he became calm and peaceful and he said, it's gone. Remember, in March of 2009, beginning then for about the next three months, I documented at least nine spiritual attacks in that three-month period, in addition to my mother's death, it was definitely the hardest, most miserable time of my life. And I have the list right here in front of me, and I'm definitely not going to share it with you. Uh, it would be too hard and too sad. I know that God is real, but I also know that the devil is real. Fred Dickerson was the chairman of the Department of Theology at Moody Bible Institute, and he was at Malone University giving a talk many years ago, and there he played a tape of a conversation he was having with a demonized woman. I'm just going to read a bit of the transcript from that taped interview. As she mentioned that, another physical attack came because, as she explained, they hate being reminded of their defeats. We reminded them of their defeat by the blood of the cross. They raised her hands to her ears as if to block out the sound of the scriptures that spoke of their defeat by Christ. We will close her ears off. Well, she knows all this. You open your ears. Christ made all things. He's your creator, isn't he? Isn't he? We rebelled him, came the reply. He created you is the issue. I steered him back to the point. Sure. And then you rebelled against him. That's right. Who is your leader? Oh, Lucifer. He answered as if in pain. And you followed him. He was our leader. What do you do? Well, you follow a leader. No, you chose to follow him. He wasn't your leader in unrighteousness. He was your leader in righteousness to begin with. He was the one who praised God. He was the guardian cherub, right? We didn't want to praise God anymore, and we left him. Weren't you satisfied from what you had in creation? You were created beautiful, weren't you? We wanted to get more, 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 more. This is not enough. This is not enough. We want more, more, more. What did you get? We didn't get it yet. We're still trying to get more. I pressed him again. Where are you going to end up? Oh, you always will burn. Where? I continued to attack. Fire, 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 fire. 
Are you one of Satan's angels? I was, but I'm not. And now you're one of his demons. I checked. And now you're going to have to leave Dottie. I know. He admitted. So I'm not trying to be sensational this morning, but just tell you that the Bible is real, that the Bible is true. What it says about the enemy. He's real. C.S. Lewis said there are two equal and opposite errors. One is to disbelieve his existence. The other is to have an excessive and unhealthy interest. I think that's wise. But it's important for us to understand our enemy and how he operates, as the famous book, The Art of War, by Sun Tzu says. We're going to look at our spiritual equipment next week. But we fight from a position of victory. You need to know that. Christ won the victory over the enemy on the cross, and our job is to uphold that victory. But here's the problem. He hasn't conceded yet. He will at the second coming when he's ultimately defeated. But until then, he fights. And there's no neutral place. You can't say, well, I don't want to fight. You are in a spiritual battle, whether you want to be or not. And things are ramping up. So you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. So we're going to look at the enemy this morning. As we're going through the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The first point I want to make from our text. Activate your power supply. Activate your power supply. Verse 10 tells us, be strong in the Lord. Now, that phrase might sound misleading. Oh, I've got to be strong. I've got to somehow muster up the spiritual strength to fight the evil one. No, literally that phrase is be made strong. Here's a quote. The Christian should come fully into the light of Christ's redemptive provision for him. As he opposes the devil by laying hold of Christ's strength, which is his by virtue of his union with Christ. It doesn't matter how strong you feel today or how weak you feel today. Christ is strong. That's what's important. And he is in you. You are in him. The Bible says the battle is the Lord's. So that's good. That means I can just sit on the couch, right? Spiritually speaking, drinking my McDonald's sweet tea and watching football. No, doesn't mean that at all. Christ fights through you. He gives you strength for the battle. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, we want him to flee from me. And you want him to flee from you, right? So how does that how's that accomplished? I submit Myself under God, I come under his authority. I humble myself. I give God access to every area of my life. I say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me all of you. I seek your face. He empowers you. 
Then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. So are you strong today? Are you strong in the Lord today? You are. Second, check your protective gear. Verse 11 says we're to put on the whole armor of God. Back in the first Iraq war, not all the American soldiers were equipped with the latest and best body armor. And that was a problem. In the Ukraine-Russian war right now that's going on, I read that there are Russian conscripts who don't want to be there. They're ill-equipped, they're ill-trained, and ill-prepared for the battle. But God gives his people, us, his best. He gives the whole armor. Armor sounds defensive, doesn't it? But it's both defensive and offensive, as we will see next week as we move on in the text. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You are complete in him. But notice you're to put on the whole armor. So what good is body armor? What good is a bulletproof vest sitting in your closet and then you go out to battle? How do I put it on? By faith through prayer. A mental and verbal confession of the word of God. It's a good thing to do daily. Maybe as you begin your day, I'm putting on my armor, Lord. I'm in you. You're with me. Your word is truth. There are no timeouts. There will be no peace treaties with the enemy. So is your armor on? Check to make sure it's on. Are you protected? Third point. Hold your ground. Verse 11. We stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's a fighting stance. Athletes know what that is. Shooters know what that is. Remember from I remember from football, you know, you have your your feet spread out kind of under your shoulders, one foot just slightly back of the other, your knee slightly bent. You know, you're ready to take on that ball carrier if you're a defensive player. So we stand our ground. We're not retreating. We're not going to stand down. We're going to stand strong. I want to read a passage out of second Samuel 23, and note that it's just a physical battle. But look at the comparisons that we could make spiritually speaking. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, that name is almost unpronounceable. <laughs> Joshabasabeth, right? Atakamanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men was Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when he, they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. Everybody else runs except this guy. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. It's like his hand was frozen on his sword. He was clutching it so tightly, wielding it in battle. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. 
Next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. I like that little detail. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave at Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. That man stood his ground. He said, this is my plot of land. I've got a crop here and I'm not giving it up to the Philistines. We do the same spiritually. But our enemy is wily. He has schemes, which means tricks. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. That's his chief weapon. I want to do a brief bio on the devil this morning. And I have a bunch of scriptures there in your sermon notes. Encourage you to look those up later. He was once an angel in heaven, a created being, though not equal with God. We're not talking Persian dualism here, where there's an equally powerful good God, and an equally powerful evil God, and they do battle, and sometimes one wins over the other. He was an anointed cherub of the Lord, possibly in the closest position to God as the worship leader of heaven. But he fell due to pride, and perhaps a third of the angels of heaven fell with him. He has limited freedom to influence. He's on God's leash. He can only do what God allows and no more. His ultimate destination is hell, where he'll be condemned there forever. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's unredeemable. He's given many names in Scripture that define who he is and what he does. Here's just a few. He's called the father of lies. He always lies like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus said in John 8:44, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. His most common characteristic is deception, lies, untruth. He's the prince of this world because Adam turned it over to him by his fall in the garden. And he's legally the prince of this world. He's the God of this age, small g. He remember, he's a created being, not equal to God, but he is a powerful spiritual being. He is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Bible says. The second heavens is his sphere of influence, like the radio waves. He's the angel of light. He's a deceptive, a deceiver. He can appear good and spiritual. He's the evil one. There's nothing good in him. He has no sympathy whatsoever for his victims. He is a tempter. He entices humans to sin by using their weaknesses against them. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses them before God. Fortunately, Jesus is our defense attorney. 
What are his activities? What does he do? He tempts. He blinds the eyes of the unbelievers so they may not see the truth. He binds people spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically with sickness. He schemes. He torments. He oppresses. He hinders. He possesses. God and Satan are in a battle in this world for souls. And that war is waged primarily in the mind. People believe his lies. They act on those lies and thus sin. And sin separates them from God. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through believing in the blood of Jesus. Satan lies to Christians, too. He gets us to disobey God. We need to recognize his lies when they come. If someone knocked on your door with a bag of rattlesnakes and they wanted in, you wouldn't let them in, would you? But we let the enemy in and he tempts us, say no and shut the door. He's a liar. Don't let him take from you what God has given to you. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. So my question for you today, are you holding your ground? The fourth point, fight hand to hand combat verse 12 for we wrestle not the fake stuff on tv roman soldiers fought eyeball to eyeball with the enemy the closest possible proximity can you imagine how scary that would be and how vicious that would be with the with the long knife as your primary weapon they had the big sword but Primarily that knife they fought with. So you're looking the enemy right in his eye. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, you know what I'm talking about. That kind of vicious, close, infighting. That's what that word wrestle means. It would be much easier to fly my airplane overhead and drop a bomb. Or from my Navy battleship, shoot a missile. Or shoot artillery from my tank at a great distance. But we wrestle Eyeball to eyeball, close in fighting. But we don't fight flesh and blood, Paul says here. See, we make people the enemy. They become our focus, not Paul's. We know he fought against the Jews, the Judaizers, and the Gentiles. But he knew they were the enemy. He knew who the enemy was. Now, Satan could use people, sadly, including you and me. But if you're fighting against people today, you're fighting against the wrong enemy and you're working in league with Satan for his purposes. He wants you angry at people all the time and in constant turmoil and fighting and blaming people and being unforgiving toward people like they're the enemy. They're not. We don't fight against people. We fight against evil spirits. A multi level hierarchy of spiritual beings. From this text, it indicates different levels of authority and power. Before we get into that, let, let me read an insight someone had from the movie Star Wars about the evil in that movie, the different creatures or whatever, and how that applies spiritually. There is the evil of the faceless soldiers in white who only follow orders. Yet their blind obedience leads to harm. They are a blur to us who watch them. Their masks 
cancel out all individuality and personhood, yet they act efficiently and under discipline, the discipline of evil. There is the evil of weakness shown in the uncle and aunt of Luke Skywalker, who are afraid to take risks for the truth that they know, the truth they have repressed out of fear. There's the evil of thievery represented by the slave trader thieves who steal the robots and sell them as slaves to the highest bidders. There is the evil of blatant cruelty represented by the sand people who are like the thugs and bullies of every period of human history. There is the evil of chaotic self-indulgence represented in the bizarre cafe scene. This Sodom and Gomorrah spectacle of luxurious excess and personal chaos is yet another layer in the intricate fabric of evil. There is the evil of weakness and pride and careless inconsistency represented in both the heroes of the story, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Because the story is an epic and therefore a truthful story, the human heroes must also share in the ambiguities and problems of evil themselves. There's the evil of bureaucratic lust for power represented by the committee that commands the Death Star. But each of these forms of evil are layers within a highly complicated whole is dwarfed by a kind of evil that functions at still a stronger and more mysterious level. This is the evil represented by Darth Vader. Here we meet evil that is spiritual and more profoundly complicated than the other forms of evil. Here is evil that once was allied with the truth, which, like an angel of light, has fallen away from truth. This form of evil seeks the destruction of what was once an original loyalty. So the text mentions rulers. They could be spiritual beings that are very powerful over empires, nations and regions. Listen to Daniel 10:13 and 20. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. This is an angel. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. The context of this passage in Daniel 10 is Daniel's prayers have been hindered. They can't get to heaven. And this angel has come to fight against the powerful spiritual beings that are hindering prayer. This prince of Persia, prince of Greece here, they're not human princes. Human princes can't hinder prayer. So these are high ranking spiritual beings over empires and nations. And Michael and this angel here fight these powerful spiritual beings so prayer can get through. They control the lower heavenlies. In Ephesus, I mentioned in the introduction to the book of Ephesians, the goddess Diana, that was a regional power. Other examples could be Baal in Canaan and Ra in Egypt, Kali in India. Authorities could be the forces behind governments. 
Let's think about Washington, D.C. for a moment. Interesting quote from U.S. Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter, who said, the real rulers in Washington, D.C. are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes. What an insight from this Supreme Court justice. I don't know if he understood how deeply he was speaking there. He may have been thinking of deep state actors who are behind the scenes, the real ones calling the shots. But perhaps he meant powerful spiritual beings that influence presidents and senators and congressmen and women. Cosmic powers could be the spiritual beings that impact culture, like education and media influencers who control media, news, movies, music, colleges, and social media. Perhaps they're behind the philosophies like Marxism and communism and other philosophies that want to control and dominate and take away freedoms like current World Economic Forum and their leaders. Spiritual forces of evil could be the demons who oppress and afflict individuals. I think most mass murderers have been influenced by them. These demons are seen all over the New Testament stories, like in Mark chapter 5. Jesus took authority over them because his kingdom is greater. And he gave his disciples and hence us authority over them as well. The devil isn't a myth, isn't a joke, isn't a fairy tale. He's not dressed in red tights and carrying a pitchfork. But a fallen, spiritual, powerful being who wants to destroy you. And he comes on like a roaring lion. When a lion roars, all the other animals in the jungle or in the plains get quiet. They don't dare move a muscle from the water buffalo to the field mouse. They stay quiet. Only one other animal dares move or make a sound, and that's another lion. Well, right now, the devil is roaring in America and around the world. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But another lion is roaring today, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Hosea eleven ten, it says they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. Are you hearing his roar this morning as he's rousing his people to repent and wake up and get ready for battle? Which is upon us, by the way. Are you going to join the fray? Really, you have no choice. The battle is here. I want to close with a quote from a former senator by the name of Frank Carlson from Kansas. And it's directed toward men. But ladies, take this as well. This applies to you. God is searching for men who are unique, thoroughly saved, and filled to running over with his spirit. God and the world need men and women who will stand in the gap. Men who are not for sale. Men who are honest Sound from center to circumference, true to their heart's core. 
Men with consciences as steady as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right if the heavens totter and the earth reels. Men who can tell the truth and look the world right in the eye. Men who neither brag nor run. Men who neither flag nor flinch. Men who can have the courage without shouting it. Men in whom the courage of everlasting life runs still deep and strong. Men who know their message and tell it. Men who know their place and fill it. Men who know their business and attend to it. Men who will not lie, shirk, or dodge. Men who are not too lazy to work nor too proud to be poor. Men who are willing to eat what they have earned and wear what they have paid for. Men who are not ashamed to say no with emphasis and who are not ashamed to say I can't afford it now. God is looking for men. He wants those who can unite together around a common faith, who can join hands in a common task and who have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's pray. Lord, we do face a fearsome foe, but you are much, much stronger. And the greater one dwells in us. So we will not be afraid. We will not fear. We will not shrink back, but stand firm on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that you have equipped us that all we need for the battle. And so our eyes are on you, our leader. We'll respond where you lead. Help men and women and boys and girls, Father, to live for you in this present darkness. Strengthen them by your power and might today. In Jesus' name, amen.